Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sherlocksvip.com. Welcome to the Sherlock Highlights podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by Astrid Carter, Lou Half, and Tamara Corin. Welcome, Tamara. Thank you. Uh, Tamara is a Sherlock contributor, and we're so excited to have you join us today. Thank you for having me. So, let's start as always with some TV. What's everybody been watching? I watched an interesting new series on Netflix called Abstract: The Art of Design, and where basically every episode they delve into a different form of creative. So, the one I watched was with Isla Crawford, the interior designer. She was the woman behind the original Barrington house. She's done some amazing products and they were focusing on the IKEA canteen and what they're going to do for that. But it's just really fascinating to see how her studio pick up on those different elements of design from the very beginning. You know, they were talking about the Cafe Pacific lounge and it was really fascinating. What do you mean the IKEA canteen? As in they're transforming all IKEA restaurants? Exactly, they're transforming it. So sort of how they bring in those elements. It kind of is like a sterile canteen at the moment, but you know, IKEA are known for their key design elements, so how they sort of are going to be changing that. So it's really interesting. That's really and they've cool. got other ones in the series with an architect, an illustrator. Um, but yeah, that's the first one. I really recommend it. Cool. Mm. Well, speaking of Netflix series, the OA is back. I feel like I've banged on about the OA since I watched this first season last year. But it is probably the best thing I've ever watched on Netflix. And people always say to me, oh, I don't like sci-fi. Or like, oh, I don't like fantasy. But if you're thinking it's like a Game of Thrones or even like yeah. a Stranger Things, it's not that extreme. The first season was about a girl who had gone missing as a child and was blind when she went missing. And she comes back seven years later to her family home and has regained her sight. And it's all about what happened to her in those seven years. And that's a kind of very basic explanation. It's way more complicated than that. And you have to kind of pay quite close attention. Yeah, you Um, have to really stick with it. A few people in the office have said, oh, I started it, I couldn't get into it. It's so confusing what's going on. It sounds a bit too sci-fi for me. No, but it's not. It does. It's so good. It's that kind of come back after a few years like what happened it's just too I get that but I'm also so not like a fantasy person I don't watch Lord of the Rings or nothing or Star Trek or any of those things but it's just it's amazing storytelling and Britt Marling who stars in it and also writes and produces it is so talented talented. anyway so this new series takes on a slightly different form basically without giving too much away the first season is all about near death experiences that's like the theme of it and this is kind of the aftermath of something very dramatic at the end of the first season and it's just so clever it's so cool they've brought in all these new characters really cool new twists and just, again as you say just stick with it because mm. it's so good do you have to have watched the first yes, season yeah 100% okay. but there's only 8 episodes in each season so it's okay. quite bingeable it's yeah. so so good I think that's something that Netflix do really well like that kind of sci-fi but with a really cool modern twist like Stranger Things like, mm. I would never have put myself down as a Stranger Things fan yeah. but literally can't wait for the next series completely agree Sorry, 
great and also me again but we're <laughs> on Netflix as well last night I watched Amy Schumer's latest stand up um, oh, I keep okay. seeing that on oh, the menu I'm a massive Amy Schumer fan I think she's so refreshing she says the things that you would never say out loud but are always thinking so it's called Growing and she's pregnant she's due the same time as Meghan Markle Both. so she's like eight months pregnant yeah Meghan's now. due next month yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. so she's really pregnant I think it was filmed at the beginning of the year and it's all about being pregnant being married her shtick in the past has always been the single thing so obviously this is completely different but it's still so true to her it's so disgusting she is so <laughs> graphic about being pregnant about being pregnant but she still touches on her single life and how her sex life has changed and, and so those kind of things yeah. you can kind of imagine how she puts her own spin on that but I think that's what people love is that she 100%. is so graphic and you're just like does she just say yeah, that yeah exactly she says the things that just no one else yeah. will say but actually you laugh because you know what she's talking about it's just great like there's something for everybody not if you're not an Amy Schumer fan you have to buy into her brand of comedy but it's also really political as well a lot about the difference between men and women it's just very current topical and hilarious I also watched Free Solo. Gogglebox fans may have seen a little clip of it on an episode last week. And basically, a free climber called Alex Hanold decides to try and climb El Cap in Yosemite, which has never been done free solo before. And it's kind of something he's been working towards for eight years. And the documentary basically shows his process and everything that he goes through in doing this free solo means what exactly free solo is rock climbing without any ropes so you are completely bare hands bare feet everything sort of at one with nature but he's Um, an experienced rock climber he's an experienced rock climber and you know a real extreme sport fan there's one section of the documentary where he has a, a brain scan and they basically show that there's one area of his brain where he is not going to be is it missing the risk yeah assessment isn't it where some people will be stimulated by x that doesn't stimulate him at all so he pushes himself further and further and there's one section where he talks about his girlfriend and how in life she wants to be happy and make lovely memories and be the best person she can be and he's like that's not what life is about for me life is about performance and pushing yourself to extreme limits and it's such a fascinating watch and you know it's also really beautifully filmed when you see the footage of this cliff edge you just think how on earth someone even think that's comprehensible to do so I won't ruin it to what happens yeah. but you should all watch it and if you don't like heights you watch <laughs> it you can it's <laughs> it, will it give think, me vertigo I think it's more about seeing somebody push themselves to mm-hmm. such an extreme mm-hmm. level and what people will go through yeah the psychology um, of it and how different thing. everybody is and yeah it's really interesting cool Let's talk about how to make your office more fun. Apparently, the average employee spends, this is so depressing, over 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime. Mm. So it's pretty essential to make sure you're enjoying your time in the office. So with this in mind, we wrote a piece about all the ways to make your day-to-day in the office that bit more enjoyable. So I want to know, what makes a happy, fun office environment for you? Tamara? I think it's food. food. I think it's food. Yeah. It just yeah. unites everyone. Everyone's, especially kind of when you get to that four o'clock dip. But it's like the excitement of, you know, even food in the kitchen and suddenly everyone's up it's like we've never been fed before <laughs> but I think it does because then you talk about you know whether you like it and flavours and this that and the other but I think it's food yeah. more than drink actually yes I agree with that yeah. Yeah. although it's quite hard if you are trying to be good I'm getting married yeah. in a few months so I'm trying not to have that four o'clock snack time thing but then your work day instantly plummets into yeah. a depressing marathon to the end of the day where you actually can eat yeah. something but there's something quite like it kind of brings you together exactly we all sit on the same section at that like 3.30 slump 
we're kind of like, has anyone got any chocolate? Yeah, chocolate. <laughs> and it just it kind of just gets you through it. Yeah, doesn't it? it does. <laughs> Asher, what about you? Other than the chocolate, I really love having an office pet in the office. I think That's it okay. really brightens the mood. Georgie's really sweet little dog Mouse comes in now and again, and I'm pretty much 30 percent happier every time she's here. Well, it does say in this piece that 34 percent of people say dogs at work do make them happy. And 37% would be equally attracted to a workplace that allows dogs compared to one that doesn't. I agree with that. I'd love to work somewhere where there were loads of dogs. Would you bring in your dog? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if people didn't like dogs? You've got a big problem then. Yeah. And I think you have to be considerate. Like, the dog has to be really friendly, yeah. really calm. I mean, I wouldn't bring, like, a Doberman in, like, take up <laughs> half the room. But Mouse is literally a mouse. Yeah, so. Mouse is so inoffensive. Yeah. Just a sweet thing to pet. <laughs> Even when you're working, when Mouse comes and sits in your lap, it's so relaxing. Yeah. I would say, though, I think if a dog was here all the time, it would take away the, oh, how fun cool. element okay. when they then because I think when mouse does come in yeah. everyone gets so excited yeah. so yeah, it's a real so treat Lou what makes you have fun at work I agree snacks pets I also think a good outside of the office activity we were very lucky to go to Paris earlier in the week for a shoot I think we all came away from it feeling really like close to our teams it really united us all it was a really lovely thing to do yeah well like, obviously we went for work reasons given that we were travelling only a quite small percentage of the day was actually work a lot of it was just chatting time yeah. on the Eurostar and mm. such and yeah it was a really good bonding experience yeah. not just talking about work all the time yeah it was yeah, probably a bit nice. of a giggle isn't it? It was such a I mean, we were so and... delayed. Yeah. It was a joke. Said, yeah. And we were really debating whether to go because we were warned it's sort of going to be three to six hour delays. And we just embraced it and made the most of it, yeah. much to the perils of everybody else in the queue, I'm sure, who absolutely hated <laughs> it, absolutely hated it. But we, we had um, our most obnoxious. Yeah, group, definitely. Group it was like a, like a hen party, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and, and it was all filmed, so you'll yeah. see it behind the scenes. But yeah, it was really fun. Was. I think doing things like that are really important to sort of get out of the office. Mm. You know, we've also done sports days and things last summer, which was great. And I think it's just important to take a stop sometimes and, you know, refresh. And go out and actually speak about things that aren't work yeah because you know you work in such close proximity but actually if it's someone that you don't have like a day-to-day with Mm. you find out such interesting things about people like i would never have put you down to like do that yes so i think that's really important one of the things on this list was to get rid of unnecessary meetings and that apparently you have more fun if you don't have meetings but i love meetings and maybe that just makes me completely weird and i obviously don't like them if they're like a waste of time but i find that a really good social opportunity particularly if it's with team members who you don't otherwise sit near Mm. then that's you get the kind of five minutes before a meeting to catch up and I find it if you've got a job like ours where often you can just be kind of sat at your desk quietly working for a while I find that more fun because then you break away and you're chatting and it mixes up your day and makes it more interesting and I feel like variety is what makes the workplace more enjoyable I also think it's the actual office itself you know I know that we're going to be having a revamp and I think that just brings a bit of you know some fresh life some fresh you know everyone gets a bit of a boost yeah you know if you're in some dark dull revolting looking office you're less likely to you know have fun and yeah, you know, yeah. feel like that I think it really depends on your environment yeah, as well. I think and I'm seeing daylight I was yes. worked in an office in a basement and particularly in the winter when you go to work and it's dark then you're in the basement and then you leave, leave. I work after six and it's dark it's pretty hard yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, that sounds like prison yeah. <laughs> well given that we've got those 92,000 hours to make more fun I just think a bag of sweets that'll do it won't it yeah Honestly. again snacks, snacks. Yeah. food all the way yeah. snacks is definitely the yeah. easiest way to yeah. everyone's yeah. get those Percy pigs in. 
let's talk now about making friends as an adult, whether it's down to location, lifestyle, or things you have in common. It's not unusual to drift apart from old friends, but this says at some point you'll need to make new friends. It's true. Maybe you will. Mm. But putting yourself out there takes a bit of confidence. So I want to know, does everyone have friends that they've made in later life? I have to say most of my friends, like best, best, best girlfriends in the world, do come from school. But yeah, I've got a couple, maybe two girlfriends that I've met in adulthood, post-uni. That is quite adult. I think that's what we mean by adult and post-uni. I really would consider them like really good friends. And I know I'll be friends with them until I'm a little old lady. But I do (laughs) think that is quite rare. Yeah. I think those formative years when you're at school, they are so important, aren't they? Mm. I agree. Lou? Yeah, I'm the same. Majority of mine are sort of school and uni. But then I've also made some really great friends in the workplace as well who you know as we've then moved on to other roles you almost then become better friends and that's really really lovely but I think sometimes people do change so much as they get older that perhaps when you look back at your school friends you have changed so much and actually maybe you don't have that many similar interests anymore so I think on the list it talked about looking you know whether you're doing extracurricular clubs that sounds like some 10 year olds do but (laughs) whether you're doing other activities outside of work that is a really good way to meet new people who've Mm -hmm. got you know things in common with you common interests hobbies that type of thing so yeah yeah. that's always like the common advice isn't it that you should go and join a club or do a sports or something what does that actually mean if you're not sport I'm not going to go and join a netball club so has anyone actually ever tried outside of school uni work to go and meet friends in that kind of way no No, I have really terrifying yeah Yeah. I mean I've got a really close knit of girlfriends Mm -hmm. from primary school almost and they're like family to me but I would say I've met some girls that have become really close to me usually like from school you mean kids as, yes mm. so like other mums mm-hmm. because we've got things in common and then kind of our relationship has grown because of the kids mm-hmm. relationship but I think if I needed someone at the drop of a hat or there was some you know awful trauma or something like that it would still be my primary mm. school friends yeah I mean I'm not true. saying I don't go out thinking I'm not going to make any friends I've only mm-hmm. got 10 friends and that's it but to throw myself into a situation like an you know an activity I just think no so you feel like you've got enough friends basically I know that sounds silly to no, say you've got enough friends but I think I've got my close-knit friends mm-hmm. and I love meeting new people you know and I'm very sociable but I don't go out to think I need a new best friend yeah. Sure. Yeah. where can I find them I think sometimes it maybe takes you by surprise and you're not going out there to look for new mm. friends yeah. but maybe you you're at a event or a meeting or a class or something and you start speaking to someone and you're like actually we got on really yeah. well yeah. and I think that's really nice actually to then rather than just park that and be be like oh that was nice then be like oh you know should we go for a coffee mm-hmm. and yeah. I think yeah. you know. and actually despite all the perils of social media that is where Instagram is so yeah. good because I know yeah. where I've hit it off with people through work events yeah. then following that up on Instagram it's like the non-aggressive way to follow it up isn't yeah. it yeah. because you're not necessarily going to take someone's number yeah. that's a bit weird it's not we're not dating <laughs> yeah. but actually you can follow someone on Instagram start a bit of a dialogue and even if it's a yeah. slow burner it's yeah. quite a good way of having I don't know if friendship's the word for it but a continued relationship yeah. which I do blossoms. find though, that relationship hard to define like if there's somebody maybe that you followed on Instagram for years you've both been chatting mm-hmm. you sort of have a dialogue but you've never actually met in real life are they a friend? Like, they're, yeah. they're your Instagram friends what, like, yeah. what do you call that? it's very I find that strange yeah I think um, a friend has to be somebody that you've met <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's about memories you know it's like you've grown up with someone they've seen you through you know schooling yeah. you mm-hmm. know your first job your first boyfriend getting married like yeah. all the little bits you know they're memories for you you've got so much together mm-hmm. that new friends new people 
people that you meet. Obviously, it's another time in your life, but you can't really give that to someone. You've either got it or you haven't. Yeah, it's like when you meet someone's parents and it puts them into a context. It's almost like those people have all the context they need about you, whereas actually newer friends, there's just too much to learn almost, isn't there? You've got to go back too far. It's so lovely that everybody is still friends with their school friends, but do you have stuff in common with those people? Is it a happy coincidence that you do? Because I'm the same. My best friends are my school friends. But actually, I sort of lack friends who have a shared interest. And I love the fact that my best friends have all that shared history. But that's not actually the same as having people you can natter to about your day-to-day interest necessarily. See, I think think? that's nice, though. I think that's a real positive about my group of friends. You know, just it's so different Mm -hmm. that we all have gone into different areas of work. You know, I think that's a positive Mm -hmm. because then you're not talking about work. You're not talking, but we still have the same, you know, we love fashion. We love this. We love that. We still have a lot in common Mm -hmm. with each other. That's what really bonds us together as friends. So I don't think you have to be, you know, working in the same area or have the same hobbies Mm -hmm. or anything. I think that just adds, you know, character to your relationship. Yeah, I think that's true. Astrid? One of my best, best friends, she's a lawyer. We are literally chalk and cheese, have nothing in common. But I don't have a sister and she is the closest thing that I'll ever have to a sister. And yeah, I think it is that shared history. Like we literally met on our first day of school when we were four and we're still such great friends now. And you just can't really match that, Mm, I think, in in adult life. Yeah, so truly. Yeah, Yeah, mine's a bit of a mixture. I guess my school friends kind of tick that box. But then I guess the friends that I've made through work, I think you do maybe have more of that sort of similar interest in terms of what we're doing. I study fashion at uni, so my uni friends sort of got that in common as well. So I guess I've got a bit of both, really. And one final thing in this piece, it suggested using apps to meet new people. There's obviously Peanut for new mums and for parents. Would you ever consider branching out and using an app? I think it's a great thing to have in ter- for people that, you know, there's a lot of people that need someone to talk to are not fortunate as all of us, having close-knit friends, family, sisters, etc. So I think it's nice to know that there are places that you can make friendships, mm-hmm. you know, that you don't feel lonely, that you feel like, especially a new mum, that you're not in this bubble you're thinking oh my god who else is up at this time Mm -hmm. who else is you know feeding through the night who else is exhausted you Mm -hmm. know you feel quite alone at times so I think it's lovely to be able to have that Mm -hmm. I haven't personally used an app but I think it's only a positive thing Mm -hmm. so we've all agreed that work can be a really great environment to meet new people so what are your top tips for either engaging new people or continuing that friendship mine's obviously to follow them on Instagram (laughs) I think just to find a common ground and I think where I find really interesting where friendships can really develop is just when you take such an interest in someone and what Mm. they are doing you know if someone's going on a trip somewhere really follow up on that so I think it's just making someone feel that you really listen to what Mm. they're saying and I think that kind of goes both ways I think I agree with that yeah I agree with Lou Astrid I think just be a bit brave about it I think women often feel a bit silly like you said it feels a bit like you're asking for someone's number like you'd want to go on a date with them or something but actually once you've asked and you've Mm. got past that kind of awkwardness the other person is probably going to be so happy that you have asked and yeah just be a bit brave about it I also think set people up we used to have this joke about lady dates didn't we because a former colleague was set up on a lady date like a friendship date basically with somebody yeah with someone who thought that they might have stuff in common and I had that actually a girl who I'd met through a work dinner like a year ago suggested that we go for a coffee to me it was a bit out of the blue but actually it was really nice and it was just a different person and a different perspective and so actually don't be afraid to set people up yeah Yeah, I think that's a lovely touch actually I think it's a really nice Nice have a dinner party yeah. 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 over and just yeah. mix it up 
This is a public service announcement. Everybody is going to want to book a holiday after this section. Whether it's LA from La La Land or the south of France from Call Me By Your Name, there's a host of films out there that can make you really want to visit certain destinations. So we wrote a list about all the different places that we've been inspired to visit, having seen them in a film. Astrid, what's um, up the list for you? It's on this list and it's the talented Mr Ripley. Oh Mind my you. God. It just literally makes me want to fly to Italy, wear some like lovely linens... <laughs> eat like oranges Mm -hmm. and sip wine and yeah just chill and be quite glamorous it is the most glamorous film isn't it there's like the Amalfi thing but then there's also the Rome thing and it's just the whole thing you just want to buy into that whole glamour don't you totally I think Italy always tops the list Mm -hmm. when you see like any Italian destination or any of these films you just think oh my goodness and they're all impeccably dressed yeah. and just the whole lifestyle you're just like oh my and god it's, Italy know. does feel quite kind of cinematic doesn't it whether mm. you're in a city or by the coast you kind of have one of those moments like I'm in a film right now yeah that's so <laughs> true and god it's just so beautiful I remember the Italian job has anyone seen the Italian I actually job? haven't but I was thinking of that so when you said it when like that just all over Italy I mean oh, and it's just stunning and you think of these film stars and you think they're so lucky mm. to be in these I know to go that's to everything job. they travel the world mm-hmm. and you know they probably look outside their window and think yeah you know this is what I do but I mean where they you know film is just it's incredible no god Gwyneth Paltrow locked out on that one didn't she <laughs> Lee what about you two for me that really stand out are a good year I don't know if you guys have seen that no. it's with Russell Crowe and he works in the city and is then sent to the south of France and is sort of very out of his comfort zone you know he's a real workaholic and it's just set in the most beautiful setting it's also got Marion Cotillard so there's a bit of romance there and it's just so so beautiful Another one is Stealing Beauty with Liv Tyler. Such a, like, 90s classic. Again, I think that's Italy. And it's just very natural, raw beauty and just, like, real sort of teenage romance. That idea sort of, you know, leaving the city and going on holiday and having that sort of summer of love, which is really amazing. Tomorrow, what about you? Any other films that make you really want to visit somewhere? I always enjoyed watching all the Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve films and mm-hmm. things because I think, you know, just the fun in fact and all the lights and the glitz of Vegas and the strip and you know there's nowhere like it in the world mm. you know if you haven't been it's really like have it's a must I have been yeah. I've been a few times well, even the hangover actually can give you a bit of a taste yeah. of Vegas just, it? It, there's something in the air there's just no other place like it I just think it's just got glitz and glamour and it's so fake really it's, it's, so, it's fake. so fake but I love that I love that it's so different to any other destination. Yeah, that is actually, yeah, that's a good one. Vegas, mm. I hadn't even thought of that. Well, mine are, I don't know if you've seen the film that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard starred in together, which sparked their relationship, The Rum Diaries, and it's set in Puerto Rico. And oh my God, it's almost like watching Narcos and it's that whole kind of the glamorous side of South America, but just incredible. And again, so glamorous, so much wealth and opulence, but in this really tropical setting, which is so mm. stunning. My other one is Pretty Woman. I love LA and you can't beat the 80s for that glamour as well and just all down Rodeo and her at the Beverly Wiltshire like I mean Beverly Wiltshire isn't actually that nice anymore but back in its heyday you just want to be her maybe minus the prostitute bit and you know the glamorous side (laughs) of LA in those days which is just so incredible like when at the end where Kit comes to visit her and they go to the pool and she's in that like little short suit and you just want to buy into the whole thing don't you is there anywhere that you've seen that you would actively go to that place because you were a fat 
like you know how people do that like, Sex and City tour of New York. Oh, yeah. Is there anywhere you'd actively go because you'd seen it in a film? I think I'd sort of like the one in New York. There's the friend's apartment, and then there's also Carrie's apartment. And I wouldn't be like, oh, must do this at four p.m. But wasn't today. Friends shot in LA. Yeah, but the outside of the apartment. Yeah, was so like just yeah. the montage. Yeah, between yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's... actually, if you follow Courtney Cox on Instagram, the other day she went and stood outside that apartment. Oh, and another one that I loved was the Night Manager, and that was obviously in Mallorca, which really made me want to go there. So where Hugh Laurie's character lives, that incredible fortress, that is a real place called Fortaleza, which is stunning, and you can get married there. There's also the scene where the little boy gets kidnapped, and that's beach restaurant, and that has been there for about I don't know 50 years or something, and completely now impossible to get into. It yeah. was just this like random shack restaurant, and now it's like a hot tourist destination. And there's also the scene where they're on that incredible terrace, and him and I can't remember her character's name, Elizabeth Debicki, the woman who he has the affair um, with, and they go and like have sex against a wall in like this beautiful hotel that's like round the corner from my place. It's really really stunning there. I would have assumed that was shot just like in a studio. In, well, in maybe the, the bit where they've gone around the corner is, but the whole terrace and they like go around the corner and that is in New York. Yeah. Actually, there's amazing locations in that series. Yeah, yeah. they really like, are. When they go to Egypt and yeah, uh, and all like, the bits in the desert. Yeah. God, that really series was so good. It is also worrying though how much of an impact a film can have on the environment there, like the beach in Co PP that has now closed. You know, too many tourists were coming to see it, mm-hmm. which is such a shame because that was stunning. I was yeah. lucky enough to go 15 years ago or something crazy. It was so beautiful, like the most beautiful sort of natural landscape I've ever seen. And such a shame that that's had yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Really well, for more inspiration from the movies for destinations to visit, do check out the piece on site. Let's talk now about our makeup essentials, whether it's a great foundation or a bronzer that we swear by. We're going to talk a bit about the things that we can't live without. So, Astrid, first up, what is your absolute makeup must-have? The thing I always spend money on is foundation. You're putting it directly on your skin. It seeps in. It's there all day. I often top up throughout the day. So I think it's really important to get... A, a good one that's going to make your skin look great and B, one that's not going to, you know, make you spotty or clog your pores. So I've got a few. The one I'm using at the moment is Laura Mercier. But the one I go back to time and time again and the one that I always get compliments on is Clinique's Beyond Perfecting. It is full coverage. I would say it's like my going to a wedding foundation. Okay. But seriously, I get so many compliments when I've like applied it properly mm. with a beauty blender, etc. People are like, you literally look like you've been airbrushed. Cool. So, wow. Is it expensive? About £28, I think. That's not Horrible but I mean, foundation. foundations yeah. are that expensive mm-hmm. and they can go up beyond 40 quite often. So, and I think if it's, you know, like I said, wearing it on your skin every day, you should. And you, you also invest. don't need a lot. No, you can, exactly. Exactly. You don't so need yeah, if you, yeah. If you apply yeah. it properly, it can go quite far. Great. Tomorrow, what about you? Oh god, there's so many. Resident beauty expert, <laughs> I wear a lot of makeup. Do you? Um, yes, I do. You look like you wear. You're very yeah. like in a great way. You look natural. Yes, I so wear natural. a lot of makeup. I would say, I think for me, and I don't think people wear it enough, is blusher. I kind of will try and top up throughout the day. It just makes me look like I'm awake. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've had it's five hours. Yeah. Like, perk up, isn't it? Absolutely. And it makes you, like, when you look in the mirror, you feel like just that bit healthy. You yeah. look alive. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use a cream or a powder? It depends, actually. Usually I'll have a cream in my, like, makeup kit mm-hmm. that i am got with me in my handbag just because then I know it's not going to spill anywhere. I actually broke yesterday my oh, nose. No. Um, it smashed on my bathroom <gasps> floor. But I was literally there picking up the bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, little yeah, I, specs. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 I'm going <laughs> to get the most out of this. So I think blush is my main thing. Also, 
mascara I just can't walk out without it so what um, mascara do you swear by I actually swear by Max Factor mascaras oh, um, yes they do a great there's a 2000 calorie mascara but their best one I think is Masterpiece Max I mean it's won loads of awards you know I think there's three sold every few seconds it gives great coverage but it's subtle it's not like you know you're putting on massive lashes you know that are a bit too full on but I love it I keep going back to it and I think it's under a tenner as well amazing and in terms of blushes which cream blusher would you recommend Bare Minerals is great they have a range of blushes and they're all very natural like tawny roses Mm -hmm. so you can you can build on them as well but I would use the powder blushes from them but I'd get a blusher brush always oh really yeah I mean it's nice for the cream blushes you can do with your fingers but some people tend to you know think oh I haven't got time for brushes but something like a blusher brush is really important interesting I bang Mm. on about it all the time but I swear by Steeler's cream I have one they are the best I've used it my whole life I have a coral one from Steeler to look at you think oh my god is she going to yeah Yeah. is she actually (laughs) going to put that on her skin and I do but it's great it's so subtle Mm -hmm. and it stays for ages and it just gives you that little pop of colour that you just think, oh, I actually look okay. I look like I'm awake <laughs> and human. living. Yeah. Lou, what about you? I'm a real stickler for beauty products. I've sort of maybe used the same things for the past sort of five, six years. Charlotte Tilbury Retoucher Pen is like my absolute go-to. Just around the eyes, dark circles around your nose. Like I don't often wear foundation, but that will sort of really make you feel a bit more awake. Then Benefit Hula, I have used since I was about 13. I love it when people still say they use Hula. Somebody else said that the other day. I really rate Hula. No, I'm not criticizing it at all. It's just so throwback in my head. Literally, I remember like almost getting one every birthday and it being such a treat it was like if somebody had hula they were the coolest yeah, person you knew totally and I say packaging as yeah, well yeah, isn't it? Completely. do you use the brush no I That's find the brush shape. Yeah, it's a very yeah. very yeah. odd shape yeah. and I actually don't wash my brushes so sorry yeah. but I remember <laughs> speaking to our beauty editor and saying look I've used this for such a long time like what should I be using instead and she was like why yeah, like, Becky yeah, loves it exactly like, uses it. if it ain't broke don't fix it and then I also love Rosie for Autograph Cream Blusher it has got such a lovely gentle glow and just like a little bit on dapples of your cheeks and just like the ridge of your nose can always just give you that like tiny like sun-kissed glow um, I completely agree with you guys that I think blusher is that one thing that maybe is overlooked I think mm, and definitely. you'll automatically go oh I need more coverage or I need a bit of bronzer but I think a bit of blusher so underrated mm. mascara again Chanel is like my number one I know that is very expensive for what it is but once you get a good brush I think you can't really go back yeah. So. Yeah. also if you're you're quite low maintenance with your makeup yeah. mm-hmm. and if you're only buying you know five hero products exactly yeah. you're not spending exactly. a picture are you well I like a bit of a shimmer I have to say so obviously all of those things are essentials I also wear quite a full face of makeup so I do rely on quite a few things but I'm always really scared of looking too matte I like quite a glossy okay. look because otherwise you look cakey and I really hate that look so because I like a full coverage foundation to combat that I use Bobbi Brown Shimmer Brick which again I've used like forever I think that's one of their iconic products but oh my god it is the most illuminating thing ever it is a powder and you can get them in multiple different shades but they're those blocks that have like I think they have five different oh, yeah, so shades good. in the palette and you can use them as eyeshadows as yeah. well yeah, yeah, and you like can. put them on the key or keep them that's another one like that. when they've broken I've like picked up the piece yeah. and actually in a way it kind of works better because then you've got all the if you're using it as a highlighter they're all kind of mixed together nice. rather than in stripes and it just needs such a small amount and it just is the most amazing mm. definer. Mm. A lot of brands have copied that because yes, it's yeah. so successful. Mm. So 
so good yeah. and they're not cheap they're like 30 something mm. but god they last yeah. for I mean seriously forever with they- all Bobby Brown stuff you get a lot of bang for your butt mm. I think it's just such practical makeup yeah like there's no bells and whistles to it or anything like that mm. it literally just makes you look better yes. but like you Completely. and it was definitely the first brand like grown up makeup brand that I kind of got involved with and I remember I had a foundation and I had the eyeshadow palette do you remember they had like the little drawer that came out so there's like four on top and then like two four below and I literally just thought it was the best thing ever I had it for years probably way longer than I should have kept it I think Bobby Brown does nude so well you know as Astrid said makes you look like you but that version has anyone listened to her How I Built This podcast oh I didn't know she does it's really really fascinating and basically that's sort of how it stems is that she really saw a gap in the market for very natural beauty look makeup that really emphasized your natural beauty rather than adding like a blue eyeshadow which was so 80s so yeah it's really really interesting listen if you haven't already heard Okay, let's end by talking about some fashion. We wrote a piece about the 10 classic fashion items that basically are never going out of style. So whether it's a Bauman blazer or a Burberry trench, these are the pieces that you can pretty much safely invest in knowing that they'll always be around. Lou, what do you think is number one thing that isn't going anywhere? I think the beauty of this list is there isn't really a number one. I mean, ideally, I'd take all ten. <laughs> and I think it really is that list that I will constantly go back to in my head. The Chloe Susanna boots I have wanted since day dot. Unfortunately, I just personally find them so uncomfortable, but I still really want them. And I still try them on in the hopes that perhaps my feet have changed, <laughs> but they just aren't comfy. But I just think they look so cool. They are also really expensive now really like, expensive. so they first came out in like the Sienna days when yeah. like, boho oh, yeah. was everything but now they're 950 yeah. pounds yeah. which is like 350 yeah. yeah. and really expensive but to be fair a lot of these classics have now gone up mm. in yeah. price considerably obviously they have seen what has happened with them and the demand for them but I think what you will see with each of those pieces is that your sort of cost per wear it's not a trend piece it is going to last you forever it potentially will be handed down to your children or perhaps you've inherited from mm. your family and also a lot of these pieces kind of look better with a bit more wear so I just think they're all amazing I've got the Celine Trio which I have used pretty much every day since I've got it sort of three Mm. four years ago now and they're all very practical pieces as well so very easy to sort of you know style with anything really in your wardrobe or you're not restricted to wearing them in one certain way Mm. or style and that really is what those classic pieces are for I think the beauty about so many of them as well is because they're classics you can buy them second hand so we put things like a Chanel jacket on this list of course you could walk Mm. into Chanel and spend three grand Mm. on a boucle jacket but actually if you go on Bestia Collective you can get one for a couple of hundred pounds or like if you are just savvy and you keep your eyes open and go into vintage stores you can actually find pretty much everything on this list for significantly less and the style doesn't change so as long as you find one in good condition then that's great I remember we did a story with Hannah Strafford-Taylor and she was such an amazing Vestiaire collective shopper and I think if you know exactly what you want as Charlotte said you can sort of put in your details and you can get reminders as things Mm -hmm. come up and things like that so yeah you can definitely be savvy I think it's also they've got such a timeless appeal that you know they are ridiculously expensive I actually got a Chanel bag for my 30th and I didn't use it because I love it so much it's kind of like this precious precious bag but I also think, think to myself well it's so nice that one day 
you know, I've only got one daughter, so I think, oh, she can, you know, have all these nice little bits yeah. that I've collected. And also, actually, my grandma has things that I've taken from her. And also, if you keep things well, they do last. Mm. But I think it's very hard to get over that price point. Sometimes you look at things, you're just like, are you joking? Mm. But I should start using my bag that you bit should. more. I yeah. know. Use Ashes Motto and use the good bath salts. Yeah, always yeah. use the good bath salts. These things yeah. are expensive. You know, you can put away £10 a month for a Burberry trench and buy one in a decade's time. Time. It doesn't have to be buy now, see now. And that's the beauty of these long term yeah, pieces. They're, just, they're just so ageless. Like every single one mm. of these pieces I would have worn in my 20s had I money been no object. I would absolutely wear now in my 30s. But similarly, I can see my mum wearing like mm. in her 60s. So, so yeah. true. I was doing Q&A on Instagram this weekend and I was so surprised at how many people asked me about buying a designer handbag and how that is okay. still like the big question that people want to know. Like, what is the bag you should be investing in? You know, how much should you be spending? What style of bag you should go for and I completely get why people still feel like that is the key thing to invest in but I actually think that if I could only buy one piece it wouldn't be a handbag it would be a coat or a jacket I don't know why I just feel like there are so many great handbags out there that look really good and don't have to cost thousands of pounds and obviously a Chanel handbag is amazing and timeless and all of that stuff but there's something about the way you feel in clothes that are really incredible but I think that also comes down to you loving fashion I mean you're a fashion mm -hmm. editor and you get clothes, you get craftsmanship, etc. Whereas like shoes, handbags, accessories, they're not exclusive. Like mm-hmm. everyone can, can rock a Chanel handbag. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like fashion where you might yeah. feel a bit silly or a bit too dressed up or yeah. peacocking. Like they're there for everyone. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, so you know, every size fits all. Exactly. Kind of thing. I also think you can dress them up. You can dress them down. Accessories, mm-hmm. I think they've just got, you know, a bit more versatility to yeah. them yeah. than a jacket. And I think with clothes as well, where a lot of it is about the fit and you know whether you're feeling good about yourself that day and that have you got a tan have you put on a few pounds like all of those things you know that film in her shoes so I think that's the thing with majority of these pieces are accessories and I think it is because of that that you know you can add a bag to something and it really doesn't matter how you're feeling within your body whereas clothes can maybe you know affect that a bit more so true so true well we've got some great accessories on this list everything from Cartier Love Bracelet which obviously is at the slightly more expensive end of the spectrum to Gucci loafers which are still everywhere and, you know, relatively less expensive than some of the other pieces on the list and and really are timeless, aren't they? Finally, let's talk about anoraks. Lou, Astrid, I'm going to leave this to you guys because I really don't like them, but you guys are big anorak fans. So (laughs) There are some really cool ones on the high street. Zara has some great kind of sporty, slightly modish ones. And I think with festival season coming up or April showers, if you're not a festival kind of girl, they're just practical. And I think that's the thing. It's definitely practicality over Mm. fashion Mm -hmm. in this case. But it's nice (laughs) to know that there are some that look okay and can fit in with your wardrobe. I mean, I'm not like an avid anorak fan. <laughs> but so to I, clarify, you would be using it for practical purposes. Like I think that would be the kind of first choice. Okay. But I wouldn't be adverse to wearing one at all. Just think tomorrow. I'm just. <laughs> no, I, I can't see myself in an anorak at all. Well, your style is very I'm, feminine. Yeah, I'm you're quite just, glam. I just couldn't pull it off. I also don't have any practical coats. I don't have. I think I've got one parker with a hood. You know, that's it. So an anorak, it's just I couldn't do it. I feel like I'm going back in time, mm. like when I was younger, and 
No, no, just no. I'm the same as you. Actually, now you're saying that I don't have any practical coats either. Yeah. I don't have anything with yeah. a hood. I also, I think, I wouldn't know how to make it look cool. I think it's tricky because you can just look like you're wearing an anorak. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like, I don't know, when I'm looking at this piece, it kind of reminds me of that Alexa Chung, someone who's got like a really innate, amazing style yeah. can really pull it off. I yeah. think if you kind of wear it with a pair of blue jeans and roll up the sleeves, then like, mm. I get that. You've yes, got that Alexa yeah, or Glastonbury kind of look. Lou? I love it. I just think like with practical fashion previous in previous years there have been such unattractive options for these practical pieces Mm. and when you then do want to buy something like that your options are just so ugly and why should dressing practically mean it also has to look rubbish Mm -hmm. so I just like that if that is your vibe and you want to wear something that's practical you can now just get some cool options and not that they're sort of super out there but I just think it is just a slightly more interesting way of putting it basically. I think that's true well there are many options out there <laughs> whether it's a khaki style from H&M to actually Marge have some really cool Marge is right now yeah, Marge got a metallic yeah, Marge's one Marge's snakeskin one is quite yeah, new Charlotte one is, yeah I, I appreciate they're cool I just couldn't pull it off that's so fair <laughs> well if you do feel like buying an anorak then check out our piece on the site I think that's just about it for this week if you have any feedback at all please do email podcast at sheerlux.com we really want to know your thoughts good or bad also please do rate review subscribe and tell your friends bye-bye